This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you. Whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives, you'll find it all here. Westbury, a suburb with a rich history and vibrant community. But the area situated just west of the Johannesburg CBD has been plagued by gang violence for decades, and residents say government hasn't done much to address their concerns. Killings, gang violence, poverty, unemployment, inadequate policing and widespread alcohol and drug abuse. One could say those living in Westbury don't stand a chance. And as more teens get drawn into gangsterism, the future of Westbury seems all the more doomed. But scattered throughout the streets are individuals determined to turn things around. One of them is Reverend Peter Favor. A renowned former gang member himself, he speaks to Aaron Bates about why so many youngsters join the area's most notorious gangs, the Fast Guns and Varados, and what motivated him to go from guns to galvanizing a community. What is it like in Westbury at the moment? Look, Westbury has always been known for gangsterism and drugs. People are lured into selling drugs with a high unemployment rate in our community. People that the kids are looking up to, they wear these big chains, bracelets, drive the most expensive cars. If I have to ask any of the kids, what would you like to be? Pen pusher or drug lord? I believe 99% will say drug lord because it's an easy life, lucrative life. But a dangerous life as well. Very dangerous. I was very fortunate. I was a leader of the so-called fast guns. Very, very notorious gang. Most of my friends did not have a second chance. I got saved in 1999 and I, I never looked back. People never believed in me. Say no, he's, he's, he's hiding behind the Bible. He's got so many cases, that's why he's serving the Lord now. And that was not my intention. I was at a picnic in 1999, the 1st of January. And believe me or not, I heard a voice. Peter, it's over. And there's a, there's a, there's a beer that they, a homemade beer that they make here in our community. They call it Oamba Nobani. What do are you walking, you see, because it, it, uh, the stuff they made was very dangerous. And if you drink it for a duration of time, uh, you start hearing things. But I said to myself, no, man, I had a full breakfast this morning. Then I had it the second time, Peter, it's over. And when I got back to the camp, whoever I spoke to, I told them it's over. I didn't know what was over. And you must remember, on my birthday, we have it for seven days, for all the years that I never had a birthday. So my guys that worked for me also now knew that. But on that specific Friday, my, on my birthday, I was very, very uncomfortable. Things I bought at home was the basic birthday stuff, cake, cold drink, sweets, and that. And they asked me, shouldn't we start something small? And obviously, when we start drinking, we end up having about 12 bottles of brandy, you understand? But that particular day, even the day when I got home, my eldest sister who brought me up and, and my, the woman that I loved with was basically talking with her eyes to say, what's wrong with him? He's not intoxicated and it's 
just after nine, you understand? It was something different for them. They would have expected me to come back on, on Monday, just change and back to where the corner where we were selling, but that did not happen. So that Friday, I never touched a drop of liquor. The Saturday, the same thing. The Sunday, when I went to church, this is something strange that happened to me. The pastor made an altar call. People went up and up. And he keep on saying, there's one more. Six people went up. There's one more. Seven people. And I thought maybe the scarlet pastor doesn't know how to count or there's something wrong with him. And then something dawned on me. It basically lifted me out of my seat. And the 40 or 50 people that were already in front, they started to scream and shout because most of them knew me. And that's how I gave my heart to the Lord. And a month after that, we had a peace and reconciliation, the 28th of, of, of February. Tell us more about that, because that sounds like quite an important moment in terms of the gang conflict in Westbury that people here know about, but people outside of Westbury don't. People with money doesn't want problems. They evade problems. And what this bishop did, Bishop Edwards, he approached us in a very, very calm manner, not that uptight English talking. No, no. He approached us. Some of our guys were still sitting with their beers. Others said their cigarettes and that. And he said, no, guys, it's fine. Don't hide your stuff. That made us drop our guts. Mm. Who's this guy now? And it's a profound person in our community. And we felt, no, let's listen to him. Then he started to say, what is the possibility of you guys having peace? And he had a few guys with him. We said, this there's nothing wrong, you understand? But what, what will happen now? Because there was a backlog of cases from some shootings. And they said, no, that will sort out. But what we currently need, we need peace in our community. They obviously also approached the, our opponents. And they also said, no, it's fine. And we met on a Friday. And the people were shocked to see we with our arch enemy. They know that we don't see eye to eye. And yet they're coming from work seeing all the Fazgans, all the Varados sitting together, having some juice. That piece was already on before the date on the 28th. That Friday, the guys swapped cars. They all went to nightclub. But by then I was already saved. You mentioned the fast guns and the Varados, but yeah. where were the vultures? The vultures back then, I, I doubt they existed. But there was a few of them. One, I think one was Hoho, he was the leader of them. They, they didn't really exist then. Mm. They, they was like a site, what's the name, of the fast guns. Okay, like an offshoot. Yeah. Westbury's torrid relationship with gangs goes back decades. From the Vikings and the strippers back in the 60s and 70s, to the later introduction of the fast guns, the Chesterfields and the Spaldings. But turf wars weren't always the aim of the game. Reverend Favor details how the gang battles went from the sports field to the streets. So for us to understand what's going on now, maybe it's good to go back into the history a little bit, like the 60s, 70s. What was happening with the different gangs in Westbury then? There was a gang called the Vikings. There was a gang called the Strippers. Now, strippers weren't in any fighting. They would do housebreaking and not in colored areas. They would steal cars. And the Vikings was more like a 
group of people that would protect the community. Then, at a later stage, we had two bicycles, Reno and Lotus. And one time, the main feature was the last of the fast guns was a movie. And some of the guys made an attachment of that name. We call ourselves the last of the fast guns. The other guys now, this group of us were called Chesterfield, and the other group was was Ionians. So the Ionians, there was a, a golf club called Spalding. They called themselves Spalding in a sporty way. Mm-hmm. You know? And one thing led to another, and the fight started. What were the fights about? The, the fight started on the, on the soccer field. Maybe I tackle you, maybe. Our side were more into sports, into mm-hmm. gymnastics. I don't know what went wrong. Our elderly guys killed one of the vultures. They got seven years for the crime they committed. And when, when they came out, there wasn't many guns involved. There were times, may, maybe in the street, they will be on that side, our guys will be on this side, and they will throw out stones, and weapons came in, knives, pangas, and all that. And at a later stage, the guns came in, but not too much. With that, they also had a stock fell. Our guys were yellow boys, and they were the black boys. At a stock fells, there's a lot of drinking taking place. Maybe I've... Three weeks, four weeks ago, I stepped you. So from there, uh, people starting, uh, started to die in this uh, big fights. And then the guns came in. Then uh, Winston Stearman, Cameron Adams, he was a good, very good uh, junior middleweight boxer. They killed Glenn Nelson, and they both were sentenced to death. Sure, because it was under apartheid, so they had the death penalty. They had a death penalty. They were basically hanged. But but our community was respected. The gangs respected. But things changed. What are the gangs like now in comparison with... Right now, uh, there is no, there's no respect. Back in the day, if an elderly lady called you, you would run to her. The more money that came in made people arrogant. When you come from a place of poverty, it's difficult to control yourself when you come into money now. I, I, I went through it. Look, I lost my mom when I was eight years, Christmas Day, my granny boxing day. I had to fend for myself. At the age of nine, I was already selling newspapers. That the, the lifestyle made us hardened. To survive. Yeah, to survive. Because now, why do you need four cars at a time? And uh, even like donning these bracelets, it's a show off. They became the what's names that our kids look up to, yeah. role models. Joining a gang comes at a price. But as Reverend Favor explains back then, as it is now, it was either a life of gangsterism or abject poverty. Having had to fend for himself since the age of nine, it was the only option for a young and desperate favor. What did it cost you? You're a child who's bereft, right? Who's grieving a mother and a grandmother. You live in poverty. You're living in Westbury during apartheid Mm. and it's late 60s. Things are getting really hectic politically. And now you as a child fending and trying to survive have to make a choice to keep going. What was the cost of the choice that you made to go into a gang? Because it gives some security, right? It's a kind of a family. Look, You've got brothers there. The Fuzz Guns, their place of hanging out 
was in Martha Street, where I left. I would always have money on myself. There was something we call Stockfells, mm -hmm. where you buy beer, food. Because of my upbringing, I was a runner. And back then, there, wasn't, there weren't any shops, house shops. It was an Asa, Bati, it were the two shops. And nobody goes to the shop except me. I would, I would rip your clothes off you. Because they, maybe they've sent you and they've given you something. I would rip your clothes over the ticket money. So I was the only one. The nice thing is, at the stock fells, they sell drinks. You got your pop, your steak, all that stuff. Once now they start getting drunk and they send me to the shops, I run a cell. And some of them would ask me, hey, this light you have a violet, is he called a car or what? And by doing that, if they get cash money change I'll ask the shopkeeper change this for me give me service and, and the more they drink if I give him a service he will tell me hey boy take this mm -hmm. and my sister had two kids they will not sit about 10 steps away from me very near so whatever I get like someone can say okay take the steak this pop porridge I'll give it to them I'll take it home drop it off so tonight when I get home their tummies are filled yeah. You understand? Life was a bit bad. Back then, was there wasn't a tea bags. Mm. Was it loose tea? And we would boil it until there's, there's no color. It's just water that you basically boil and that you put sugar in. Mm. So the first thing that I will do is tell him, get a loaf of bread and a sugar and tea. The luxuries will eventually come when I get more money. But if I have the three items, sugar, bread, and tea, they covered. And how did it progress from that into more serious activities with the fast guns? Our, our communities were known for two sporting activities. One was boxing, one was soccer. I wasn't any good at soccer. But when it came to boxing, the, the atmosphere that we, that we lived in, there were guys that would wait at the, at the railway stations in the mornings to rob us know that they have gone to sell newspapers. That's how I started to come into the fighting mode and I joined the boxing club. And I wasn't scared for anything. In the later years, as I grew up, I wasn't involved, really involved in the gangsterism, but I was, I was a runner. I would take the clothing to the cleaners, I would scrub the techies and that, you know, and I would always have money. And I had, that was also a form of protection, then you couldn't touch me. But later on, guy was killed from Ravali, and then my nephew included was sentenced to prison. Six of them got 10 years and four, seven years. So immediately when they, when they were removed from the community, the group tried to invade our community. And me not being scared, I stopped it. And now I believe people are talking about leaders. Leaders do not come from the group. It's how much opposition, how much you, how can I say, trouble you give the opposition, you understand? So they tried to, tried to invade our, our community and I didn't allow it. So that's how I got involved. I stood up for, for the section of us and then by doing things, things happened. I was imprisoned, but I wasn't sentenced to prison, but I spent time on waiting trial. And what eventually happened, when I'm in, then my guys are quiet. And when I'm out, Say, no, the bulldog is out. All the puppies are making a lot of noise. And that's how I became the so-called leader of the notorious Vazgang gang. Westbury and the Cape Flats are hundreds of kilometers apart. So how did gangs notorious in the Western Cape find themselves at the heart of a gang war 
in Gauteng. Reverend Favor talks about the day the two worlds clashed. Then, we peer into his life as an activist, fighting at the forefront of the worsening bloodshed. A fight that has cost him dearly. So what's your view on the police presence in Westbury, let's say, in the last two, three months? The police are they're throwing petrol on a fire. They're not doing anything good in our community. And they, they are currently the gangsters of Westbury. The Mabarits, they, they're currently the gangsters of Westbury. And they one-sided. It would be it would, it would be a different case when the fast guns get shot and they get arrested. But that is something that doesn't happen. Sure. In March 2023, Police Minister Behi Kele made a commitment to deploy a special task force for three months in Westbury. This after the suburb was rocked by six separate shootings that left two dead and 11 injured. But Reverend Favor shares the community's pessimism, accusing police of only making matters worse. Can you tell me about the dynamic with some Cape Town actors who are in and out of Westbury and how that's changed things? Some some years back, a friend of mine, we were about four that had to go to Cape Town. But what happened on that specific day, I was supposed to go with the three guys. And at the last moment, I said, hey, guys, I'm not going. And the very night they got there, four Cape Townians were killed and the three of them were shot, fatally wounded, but they basically survived. So that that was basically the buy-in to bring those guys in, and they will come and do their jobs. In it. And what's the business connection between gangs in Westbury and gangs in the Cape? Drugs. Which ones? Kit, tablets, you know, cocaine, all that. You yourself have been a recent uh, target of a hit. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Who wants you dead? You see what happens. I speak against the ears and I, I use a microphone. People don't like it because our kids are the ones that's currently suffering under this gangsterism and that is young boys, 16, 17 year olds, that's killing people. 75, they shot on Dirk. He was 75 years old. They, they shot another friend of mine, Martin Marman. He was 61, you understand? So it's not every day, but when I, I, I get a time, then I lash out. So they would like to quiet me. Who's they? They're obviously the opposition. You know, I've been shot. Uh, they, 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 they emptied her, what's her name? But God forbids, I was. I just had a flesh wound. Another boxer was shot here in the forehead and another boy that was training there was shot in the ankle. In the same shooting? In the same shooting. That was an attempt on your life? Yes. So you can't say they only came to greet me. Do you know what firearm they used? Nine more. And the, the fortunate thing is I just came into the gate and I still greeted him. Four steps away I had him cocked the gun and I was fortunate to be alive. I was warned three months prior to the shooting and they called me on Piet. These guys are planning to get rid of you. And why specifically? What did you lash out about or what did you raise that you think was the nub of it? Usually I'll talk against all the, the, the ills that's currently happening in our community and who is in charge of it. But I, 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 when I speak, I speak in totality that I'm against drugs and what happens to the boys that we take to rehab centers. And I suppose something I always wonder, and I've met reformed gangsters in the Cape as well who've had a calling and a 
kind of spiritual awakening and really transform their lives and then the lives of other people. If it's ever really possible, if you're back in your community, to keep that line very clear. I have a mandate now. People have given me an assignment. But what I intend to do, I'm intending to work with the mothers. What's currently happening, I need to wipe the tears of the mothers and I need to bring peace to our community. That is my assignment. And I don't know how I'm going to do it because the first thing they told me is up your pride. So I have to go to all the parents that have lost their loved ones. And while there is still a crying in our community, the bloodshed will not stop. So I feel if I can shove my pride and go to the mothers. There's lots of thinking about mothers as in pain and sad and um, worried for their children's safety. But a mother who loses a child to another gang is going to have rage and probably vengeance and anger in her. So how do you transform that anger? What we have to do, if we want peace in our community, we have to approach them. Okay, maybe some will close the door in your face. But my heartbeat tells me we can have a changed community. The trouble has gone so far that boys are waiting at the schools. So the teachers are even being called Varado, Faskan. And they, they're just trying to, to mend or whatever, whatever the trouble is. But now they, they're being called names. And believe me, they, if I tell you, drugs are being sold on the school. There's a thing called lean. It's a reddish color uh, juice or something that it drink, and it companies with two tablets. So the past peace and reconciliation, you could recognize everyone. That is Tony of the Fast Guns. That is Vincent of the of the Spaldings. But now it's difficult. It's young boys that are being hooked up now. The other thing that uh, really happened to the community is the, the former regime picked us up as sardines. There's no space. There's one ground. There's one stadium. And how many people must that accommodate? The flats, 400 units, four garages. So what do they really think about us? By being so packed up, you don't, you don't, you're not going to get FPs. And, and, and that's, that's, I believe that is also part of the crime. The flats was like basically set up temporary, just for the time being. And here we, 60 years later, the flats are still standing. I'm not saying we will not be able to have peace again, but we'll have to work a bit harder. What is the atmosphere like at the moment in Westbury? Westbury is very tense. There's hardly kids on the street. And on a natural day, you'll see kids all over. There's times like this, you can you can cut the atmosphere with a knife the way it's thick. There's two days quietness. What I'm telling you now, a boy has been shot in Czechos. How or two back? Today. Today. Remember there was a woman shot, a man back in Czechos. Another guy was shot this afternoon. It has reached a state of anarchy. When you have a sore and you don't tend to it, or if you just put on a plaster every day, it won't deal. That's what what Westbury is turning into. Because we just put a plaster and a plaster and a plaster. 1999, I got saved. So 2019, how many years was I saved? 20 years. And they still came at me. For some, maybe I still carry the powers that I had back then. And it's not, it's not like that. I don't sit in those meetings. But people still believe that I have those powers to influence the guys. People don't understand what was my second chance. I've got two friends that were also sentenced to death, but they got reprieved. Their sentence would turn into 20 years, 20 years. 
I was 27 when they were sentenced to death. And on that specific day, I just asked the Lord to add three years to my life. I just wanted to reach 30. Because back in the day, it was a milestone to reach the age of 30. And now the Lord has doubled it. I'm 63 years now. If you enjoyed this extended interview, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can drop us your comments at mystory@cartblanche.co.za or tweet us using hashtag carteblanche. Be sure to also listen to our earlier story on Westbury right here on Carte Blanche, the podcast. Do you have a story to share with us? Head on over to the Carte Blanche website and click on the Tip Us Off tab. Who knows? It could be on a future episode of Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major platforms.